This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. September is Arthritis Awareness Month. Did you know that arthritis is the most common health condition in Canada, affecting one in five? Wait times for joint replacement surgery, knees and hips. Uh, was Wait times were bad to begin with, but they have ballooned terribly because of the t- pandemic. And one of the big problems is that the condition is often minimized. You hear people say, it's just arthritis, or they say that it's an inevitable part of aging. It's not. I'm going to give the numbers out. If you have questions, we have a guest here who will be able to give you some answers. Also comments. I'm sure that a lot of you out there are living with arthritis. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Trish Barbato, President and CEO of the Arthritis Society of Canada. Thanks for coming by, Trish. I am so delighted to be here. So let's talk about this tendency to minimize the importance or the seriousness of arthritis? Well, I think that because it's so prevalent, as you said, one in five, it means that we have six million Canadians that are living with arthritis right now. It means that in Ontario alone, we have about two and a half million. It's such a big number that it's almost too big. You think, well, what are we going to do about that? It just seems a bit overwhelming. I think that the myth that it is an older person's disease is also something that we're trying to break. Most of the people with arthritis are under the age of 65. So the majority of people today with arthritis are under the age of 65. People are shocked by that. Also, that people are of every age. Children are diagnosed when they're two, when they're four, when they're 10, when they're 14 with arthritis. It affects young people, working people, men, women. So it's really, really prevalent. And I think that that's one of the myths that I think makes it less of a condition that people are talking about and talking about, I think, with the respect, if I may say, that it deserves. But there's a range, uh, and we're talking about osteoarthritis, which is the most common type. There's a range. I mean, you can have mild, moderate, and you can have serious arthritis that that really limits your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important thing about the the types of arthritis. There's over a hundred. So the complexity of the disease is really interesting. You have the whole you have a whole side that's autoimmune related. So with rheumatoid arthritis, this is really serious. You want to get treated early. You want to be assessed. You want to get a diagnosis as fast as possible because you need treatment for that. And I agree with the osteo. It definitely has a range, but it's really interesting. A friend that I know told me that his foot has been bothering him for so long, he eventually went and got it checked out and he has arthritis in his big toe. He said, I never in a million years would have thought that arthritis in my big toe would have 
taken up so much of my my brain waves, my thoughts every day, the the pain I'm experiencing walking. So I do agree with you that there is a range, but even arthritis in one joint can really impact a person's day-to-day quality of life. And we just want to give a voice to people to say, yeah, we hear you. We agree with you. Let, let's talk a little bit about wait times. We're talking about joint replacement surgery. And no, it's called elective surgery. And that is so much of a misnomer because if, if you're stuck and you can't do your daily routine uh, because you're waiting for joint surgery, that's, you know, it's scheduled surgery. So what are the wait times like? I mean, I already know tons of people who've had their hips replaced and some who've had their knees replaced. Yeah, that's fantastic. So the federal target is six months. So basically every Canadian who needs it. So between the date that their surgeon says you qualify and yes, we're going to book your appointment, that wait time, that's only one of the wait times. There's another wait time between you going to your doctor and then getting to the specialist. But let's call it the specialist to surgery. That shouldn't be more than six months. No province is meeting that target for everybody. None. And that was before the pandemic. The pandemic exasperated those those wait times. And, you know, it's a good target. I mean, obviously, if you need it that badly, you've been assessed. You want surgery within six months. It totally makes sense. We are seeing there has been a lot of investment. I want to give credit to a lot of the provinces that heard the cry out. We did a pan-Canadian expert panel on this and, and created a report called The Way to provide some, some help on things that could be done. And so I do want to you know, recognize that, that there was a lot of a step up to say, yeah, we've got to get this done. We've got to get caught up. We are still uh, in Ontario, depending on the surgery, something in the 65 to 75% range of patients who actually get their surgery within that targeted wait time. So we really want to see all provinces meet that target for all their patients. And it's tough. I'm not saying this is easy. There are so many other surgeries. There's so much competition for surgery rooms and so many complicating factors. But we need to get that down. Well, there there are some ideas out there. I know that your your report had some ideas, and, and in terms of the joint replacement surgery, and there are a lot of people worried about this. You know, is it? But moving it out of the hospital where it competes with other surgeries and designated centers. Is that one of your ideas as well? Well, I think some of some provinces are already doing that. So we're yeah. talking about publicly funded, yeah. privately delivered healthcare, which yeah. I don't want to get into that debate, yeah. but that no, happens already, right? That happens already. We do right. it with home care. We do it with long-term care. We do it with many other services in, in healthcare. So it's an option. It's definitely an option if we're trying to see that number reduce and get that back on track. What are some of the other thoughts that you have for... Well, I think, and this is probably a bigger discussion, but data and collecting the right data so that everyone is doing it in the same way so that we know both wait times. We know the wait time from the doctor to the surgeon and then from the surgeon to surgery so that we can really uh, look at things in a, in a comprehensive way across Canada. And we just don't, we just don't have, I would say it's getting better, but we don't have that. I think that we have best practices in certain hospitals. I mean, we have some hospitals that are caught up to date and they're doing, well, what are they doing? What are the best practices that should be shared, that uh, should be 
perhaps standardized. And and we're seeing some of that, like one-day surgeries and that sort of thing where people are being sent home quite safely uh, for the ones that are assessed for that. So we do have some things that have been brought up many other times, but I think that now is the time. Post-pandemic, now is the time to take advantage of innovation, to take advantage of really uh, taking all of this um, uh, impetus to get things done and just do it. I think one of the other things is merging surgical lists, that rather than having each surgeon have her or his own waiting list, like if you just go around to the the surgeon who is has a, an availability, that usually cuts wait times. Yes. And again, there are some regions that are doing that. It's just not, it's not standardized, I would say. People don't have the same experience from one province to another, sometimes from region to region and city to city. So I think that that's absolutely a way that we can get at that is people having access to the first available surgeon. And again, I want to get back to this perception that it's common, it's a result of old age. Is that, and and the surgery is, I'm here on air quotes, elective, is is that a big part of the problem? Oh, I think that I, I really detest that word. I mean, how can it be elective? Like I have a mother-in-law who is waiting for a new replacement. She can't walk. So she can't go to her exercise class now. She, she's just getting worse and worse. I'm watching it before my very eyes. So, yeah, it's not elective. It is scheduled. And, of course, we need to prioritize and do all those things. But people really need to advocate for themselves sometimes. I think that, you know, we really miss people. And I've heard of people who they thought that their appointment was set, but they hadn't gotten a confirmation or they thought they had an appointment, but then they didn't. And so I think Keeping up to date with your doctor to get you that appointment to the surgeon, with the surgeon to make sure that you're fully prepared, you have all your questions, you have someone with you, just really helping to make that as seamless as possible is really important. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're having a very important discussion about arthritis. It's the most common condition in the country. It is not inevitable with old age. I'm going to give the numbers out. If anyone wants to call to talk about their experience with arthritis or to ask some questions, we've got Trish Barbato, who's the CEO of the Arthritis Society. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740-4740. We'll be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with Trish Barbato, the CEO of the Arthritis Society. We're talking about arthritis. It's a very common condition. It is not inevitable as we age. And there are things that you can do to manage it. And Trish, uh, medical cannabis is one of them. Well, I think we're proponents of doing more research into medical cannabis. We know that people are using cannabis for pain management. We'd like to understand what what is the research to back this up so that that can lead to proper dosing and proper uh, you know, packaging and all the things that would be important in people taking it in a way that is research and evidence-based. So we'd like to, for there to be no tax on medical cannabis, for it to be more uh, widely available and, um, you know, for people to have access. But I think the research on that is really, really critical. 
And is is it ongoing now or does it need funding? Yes, it does need funding. And we're working uh, closely to try and support this. We, you know, if it can be a way to help people manage their pain, then we really, we fight for, for people with arthritis. We fight for those patients who need it. So we're all for it. And yes, money is required. Okay, let's take a call from Arlene and Lindsay. Hello, Arlene. Hi, Libby. Um, I just have one statement to say um, about the hereditary part. Uh, my mother had arthritis in her hands and her knees, etc., and the hands get deformed, etc. Well, now I'm getting older, and as I'm aging, I'm getting the exact same hands. I've called them my mother's hands, and my sister's the same thing. They're bit younger than I am, but they're heading down the same road. So all of us seem to have inherited the deformity of the hands, especially. And um, we're not sure why or et cetera, especially now after I'm hearing this, it's not inevitable. Well, for us, it seems that it's going to be inevitable and it is inevitable because it's happening to me personally. I think one of the things I learned, and thank you so much for your comment, is that there is so much science and biology in arthritis. And we have way more questions than we have answers. So is it hereditary? We don't know. There are some of those over 100 types that we have more knowledge and and insight and research, but many that we do not. And we don't understand the biology of what what causes it, why the cells are attacking the body. Uh, So we have, as I said, more questions and answers, but it's not uncommon for that to happen in, in within families. Okay, let's go to Maria in Etobicoke. Hi, Maria. Hi, Libby, uh, and hi, Trish. Um, I'm a member of the Arthritis uh, Association. First of all, um, I had to give up my role in, in CARP due to the six types of arthritis that I have oh, that dear. Have ravaged my body. I waited eight months to um, have hip surgery, which the hip had collapsed the year before. Sorry to hear Um, that. But what I do want to say that has helped me a lot during the pandemic with all the webinars, the Arthritis Society once a month puts on an educational um, webinar, usually with a rheumatologist across Canada. And I'm able to learn a lot more. And then when I get to have my virtual appointment with my rheumatologist or in person, I can um, use some of the information I've learned to further what it is that we're doing. Because I have six types that have been diagnosed. um, And I need to um, commend the Arthritis Society on doing that because my rheumatologist has over 4,000 patients he's trying to deal with. And it's almost impossible. Okay, Maria, thank um, you very, very much for that information. That's good information. There are are resources out there for people who have arthritis. And uh, wow, I mean, I I guess it can be difficult to get a diagnosis, which is that detailed. I mean, who would know you have six types? Yeah, I've heard sometimes rheumatologists are like sleuths. They really have to work hard sometimes with certain people to understand. And on the autoimmune side, it can be very difficult to diagnose because people present are present at a young age with a backache or with with this kind of thing. So it can be difficult to diagnose 
definitely. Uh, we do have a lot of resources, arthritis talks, and thank you for that. I um, wanted to say that we do have resources. Arthritis talks are wonderful once a month. Arming yourself with information is a great way to fight for your for your disease and for what you need. And so we really try and support that as much as we can. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about me for a bit. It's not about me, but I have arthritis in my knees. It's pretty bad. I've been told that I have end-stage arthritis, which I don't really believe. And I have the bow like my legs are crooked. But so a long time ago, I had a small surgery, arthroscopy, that was almost useless. Uh, and I, it was not intentional, but I, most of our listeners know I had cancer. I lost quite a bit of weight. That was huge. I wasn't overweight to begin with. That was huge on my knees. And, uh, I find the best way to manage is exercise. And if I get all glued up, if I don't move around, um, it's exercise. Libby, thank you for saying that because it's really true. Our therapists, we have a program called the Arthritis Education Rehab and Education Program, and the therapists will say motion is lotion and that what seems to be the last thing you feel like doing, which is moving, if your hips hurt or your knees hurt, that sort of thing, it is the right thing to do. It is the thing to do to keep moving. And we encourage people to do that all the time. Just please keep moving with those joints. It seems counterintuitive. It's not. You bring up another point about weight management, and I know that can be really difficult I for know, all I of know. us. And so it, but certainly it helps. We know that it helps for people to be exercising, that they're at their right weight. These are all things that we, we can do for ourselves. I just want to touch on another point that you made. This is also really interesting, which is we could be looking at an ultrasound of someone with severe arthritis who does not complain of pain or that much pain. We could look at another one where the person is in very mild early stages who is having horrendous pain. So that connection is has not where it's not totally linked. And so thank you for your experience in terms of just um, being able to manage your knees right now. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and it's you know sometimes uh, in a conversation if you tell people, well I know it's, it's not convenient and it's, it's hard and, uh, you know, the, but I don't know. I, for me, better than surgery. Yes, exactly. And, and really a surgeon will tell you they want to delay it because they don't, they don't want that, that joint replacement to have to be replaced again, uh, later. Right. So, right, so yeah. generally we do want people to do as much as they can. In fact, some people who are on wait lists for surgery with a good program, there's a program called GLAD and there are other exercise programs that can help people strengthen all of those ligaments and core muscles in order to either delay the surgery, sometimes even, even it, to your point, not need the surgery because they, they can get that pain under control and they could live their daily lives. Well, that's right. It's because you have to compensate and, and uh, it's, it's tricky, but it's out there. It is. It is. And I think the other thing I'll mention is there is some great research going on around arthritis and really trying to understand and answer some of those many questions that we have, looking at it at that cellular level, looking at it. We have studies, for example, that are looking at postmenopausal women, as an example, and trying to understand what is the connection between the loss of estrogen and bone loss and muscle loss and onset of arthritis. More women get it than men, one in four versus one in five for men. And that's a huge number when you're applying it to millions of people. Is there a connection between osteoporosis and arthritis? That is a great question. 
I, we don't know that uh, for sure. But again, this study that is going on might give us some insight into that, right? So thinking about that link around hormones and what the connection is with the disease. I'm going to take a call from Murray and Malton. Hi, Murray. Hi, uh, ladies. How are you guys? Uh, I have rheumatoid arthritis when I was a kid. I was paralyzed once with my hands, and a year later, my uh, knees and ankles were paralyzed. Can I get that again? Uh, oh, if you if you have rheumatoid arthritis, uh, and you should talk to a rheumatologist. This is totally outside my comfort zone, but it would seem uh, to me you should. Um, just get that checked out because I, mean, I, I have heard of people. No, I haven't suffered with, with it for years, but uh, like I don't have no pain and nothing. And well, my ankles are a little tender, but other than that, I was nothing. Oh, yeah. So I would say, I, I think it sounds like you're fine, um, but certainly a rheumatologist might be able to help if you were to get a flare up or something that seemed to be similar to what you had when you were younger. Yeah, I was just wondering because you're on the show if you knew if I would could get paralyzed again. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> you call your doctor. Yeah. Uh, well, it's thanks. a very good thanks. question. Thanks, it's a please. very good question. Uh, thanks, Murray. I didn't know that you could get a complete cure from rheumatoid arthritis. We have not a complete cure. We have drugs now that will help slow the progression of the disease. You might recall back in the 60s, people would have completely disformed joints because there really were no drugs uh, that helped with the limitation of that progression of the disease on the on the autoimmune side. But we have those now. We have good drugs that can help slow that progression. And it's just really essential that people get the right diagnosis, get on the right treatment. So is it considered a remission? Yes, it can be considered a remission. Okay, well, that sounds... I don't know. Yeah, I'd hate to try and guess no, no, what's no, no, happening no, with that, that gentleman, but... I'm saying it's great news that he was actually paralyzed as, as a kid and, and now he hasn't suffered for years. That's very good news. It's very good news. Yeah. It's very... So it, tell me a little more about the research that's going on. What are, what are the key things that we have to find out? Yeah, so osteoarthritis, as an example, we do not have anything that slows the progression. There's no drug that you can take that will slow the progression of osteoarthritis. And so the understanding of that disease at a much deeper level will help us ultimately to find something that can help people slow the disease, ultimately find a cure. I think on the autoimmune side, some of the areas that are, that are really interesting, and we have a global research project going on right now, in Canada and is taking the lead for children to have more personalized medicine. So really looking at their DNA and many other factors to consider what's the best medication for this child. Right now, it's trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, which can be, as you can imagine with a child and the parents, can be excruciating experience to go through. And so thinking about this personalized medicine for children that could be extrapolated further once they have some of this research done so that we can get the right treatment to the right person at the right time. You know, we talked about medical cannabis earlier, and the other side of that are opioids. So are opioids now discouraged for people who are in a lot of arthritis pain? I think generally that is what the, you know, the medical community is um, 
has been discouraged on that. There is a pain task force, a global one, and even in Canada where they're talking about this. You know, in some cases, is there still room for certain pain medications? There's a lot of alternatives right now. So again, I think that speaking to your to your medical, your your physician and your specialist, they're the folks that'll have the most evidence-based and current information to help you on your journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, because uh, there was a time and uh, there are a couple of drugs that were taken off the market even years ago. I'm, I'm remembering Celebrex. I don't know if that was, I don't remember if that was an opioid, but things that people use to manage arthritis pain that are not really available or a bad idea. Yeah, I agree. I, I'll just um, comment again, because in Ontario, people do have access. We have therapists, physiotherapists, occupational therapists, social workers trained in arthritis, and it's a free service. And they can do an assessment on folks, and they might be able to recommend alternatives to what the person is working with right now. We've made splints for people, for example, for their hands or different uh, practical ideas that might be helpful in people as they're managing their pain. So I encourage people, you can check that out on arthritis.ca and uh, learn more about getting that service. Uh, Let's talk about physio uh, and related. Uh, I also get, I see a chiropractor really often. He does the manual, uh, whatever they call it. Um, So physiotherapists can do that because that's really important in managing it as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, physiotherapy for people who are unsure or perhaps lack confidence in what exercise is going to be okay. I mean, you have a lot of confidence. You have knee arthritis, bowed legs, but you seem confident in knowing that I need to do this exercise, I need to keep moving, and that's great. Some people have less. They're not sure how to do a squat safely, or they're not sure how to strengthen their hamstring or their inner thighs or outer thighs or all the different things. So I think that an assessment and some assistant, depending on where the person is at, it can be so helpful to speak to a therapist to get really, really solid advice and a path forward and some confidence to deal with the disease. And a program. Well, indeed. I mean, the what our therapists, one of the things they say is that patients say, thank you for listening to me. Thank you for acknowledging that I'm in a lot of pain, that I'm suffering with this disease. Just thank you for listening. And it's one of the things that we hear a lot. Uh, are you saying that it's people in the medical professional that in the medical profession that also minimize or dismiss arthritis? Well, I think it's not their fault. They don't have a lot to what can they do? They have no drug to if you come in and I'm a doctor and you have osteoarthritis, I don't have a lot I can do for you. I don't have a drug I can give you that will help slow the progression. There's, uh, you know, pain management. I want you to exercise. I want you to lose weight. And this is where we think there's huge opportunity is looking at this disease with a fresh lens and looking at it in a way that we can do the research to get us to a point that we can, re- again, reduce its progression. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you doing any kind of outreach or education to medical professionals? Because I guess people would also feel that they haven't been heard. Absolutely. So we want to really work with that community because we have a really established program in Ontario. It's been around for over 40 years. It's a great program to give to physicians as, hey, you can have somewhere to refer folks. You have a place that they could go where they can get some really specialized arthritis care. So we want to share that knowledge and make sure that people know about that and they can self-refer 
And so that'll be a, a great resource, I think, for folks. And we have the uh, webinars, as I said. We have an info line so people can call. We have trained folks that will help just walk you through. That one, I think, especially when people are first diagnosed, they're quite confused and a bit lost, especially on the autoimmune side. And so that's really helpful. You can also just email and uh, we will respond and just try and give you the best information about what you're going through and how we can help you. We only have about a minute left. Um what do you want to leave people with on this? You know, I'm going to leave you with what I heard from a woman, young mother, living with arthritis. And I asked her that question. And she said, I want people to realize that just because they can't see my arthritis does not mean that I am not suffering. So if I am slow to get to something, don't be impatient with me. If you are wondering why I am not quick enough getting out of my car or doing this or doing that, I might have arthritis and you just don't know it. So I think that empathy around the fact that so many people have arthritis, that it tends, unless you see the deformity in the joint, it is invisible. And I think acknowledging that and the work that we're doing to try and support the lives of people just like her. So supporting us, uh, supporting research, we really appreciate the time with you and talking about arthritis, my favorite topic. Okay. And this was really informative and we appreciate the time with you. Trish Barbados, CEO of the Arthritis Society. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.